Good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, my wife Mary is in Florida right now, helping my daughter, whose husband is in the Navy and is away for a month. So uh, she has to suffer warm weather in Jacksonville um, to be with them. I want us to begin this morning with a prayer together, a collective prayer. Uh, this comes from the Book of Common Prayer. It's uh, been said and prayed for centuries, uh, but it, it draws our attention to, to being attentive to the Scriptures when we come to them. Uh, and it's um, a prayer I want us to pray uh, out loud and thoughtfully uh, together as we stand, if you would, if you're able. Let's pray together. Blessed Lord, who caused all scriptures to be written for our instruction, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of life that is everlasting, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. The essence of that prayer comes out of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans at the end when he's talking about uh, the, the comfort of the scriptures that bring us hope. Today I want to focus on a word, on a practice, one particular word and words that go with it or synonyms of it. Uh, the word is ponder, and my emphasis here is that I really, really believe that to ponder uh, is an essential, uh, essential practice for being a follower of Jesus. To ponder uh, means that we are actually setting aside and being attentive, turning aside to what God is doing, what he has said to us in the scriptures and in life. And, and pondering is often the doorway into to more uh, effective and sincere prayer to God. And then it's also a, a seedbed for the wisdom and the maturing that God wants to do in us as we reflect more deeply and ponder what he's saying to us. And ultimately, pondering isn't something that uh, stays with us. We're not doing it just in our heads. Pondering actually leads to all kinds of action, to fruitful actions that honor and glorify God and bring hope to a broken world. So that's where we're going to go, to this word, ponder. The um, scripture that I want to start with comes out of the Christmas season and the birth narrative of Jesus. I think my attention was drawn to this uh, over the last couple of years as I reflect on the Christmas story. We always run the risk with the Christmas story, and similar to what we're doing right now as a church, uh, Van and Cheryl are going through uh, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, those chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that often have some of the more familiar passages of Scripture. The Lord's Prayer is embedded in chapter 6. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. Uh, the, 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 how, the two houses uh, at the end, built on the sand or on the rock. All of those are very familiar. And sometimes we need, as, as uh, the commentator Matthew Henry once said, 
We need to meditate most frequently on those passages that are most familiar. There's a reason why they're familiar. Uh, They're really, really important. They're not just memorable. But our problem sometimes, if you are anything like me, that which is familiar sometimes becomes shallow or you don't go any deeper. Oh, I know that. So in terms of, say, Mary, one of the things about Mary is we tend to put Mary, pull her out at Christmas time and put her on a Christmas card, and then she goes back you know, with the Christmas decorations. Mary was a lifelong disciple of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I would say Mary is the first disciple. She's the first to say yes to Jesus, the first to know who he was <laughs> and to follow him. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So the first, the, the passage that uses this word ponder is where Jesus is born in, uh, in Bethlehem and outside on the hill, hillside, you have shepherds watching over their flock, right? Pondering their sheep. And so in the middle of the, of the field, God decides to do the cosmic event of announcing the Messiah followed by a chorus of angels singing glory to God in the highest. The shepherds are understandably afraid. Have you ever noticed that angels and fear sort of go together? You know, whenever people see Mary early on when it's announced that she's going to have the baby, afraid. And angels always follow that fear by saying, do not be afraid, right? So, Angels are pretty, this is a cosmic thing going on, right? As an aside, it's so fascinating. It's, it's just so God-like, our God does it like this, that uh, he didn't announce the Messiah, who was going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who was going to restore things all back to the shalom that they were designed to be, to bring redemption to the whole world. He didn't announce that event to Herod, the puppet king in Jerusalem. He didn't announce the event to Caesar in Rome or the, or the biblical scholars in the temple. Who gets the first announcement? <laughs> the simple shepherds. So the shepherds go to the, the village and they tell all that they've heard, what, what the angels described was going to be happening in the birth of this child. And everybody is filled with wonder and awe. But here's what it says of Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Why the distinction of awe and wonder filled everybody but Mary? But Mary, not instead, Mary did not wonder, but Mary more deeply treasured all of these things up in her heart. And she's been collecting a lot of really uh, special things in her heart, right? Sometimes we think, uh, you know, Mary, although she nine months before responded to the announcement of bearing the God child, son of God, nevertheless, undoubtedly, she was processing as each new thing happened. She meets Elizabeth, she She uh, hears from Joseph. She goes through the process of going all the way to, to Bethlehem. But Mary treasured all of these things in her heart and pondered them. What does that mean? What does that mean? Mary went a little bit deeper. So I decided to uh, 
to do a little word study, to dig a little deeper in this word, ponder. Okay, so I put this uh, into some definitions for you. So here's, here's uh, my study on pondering. The, the initial, initial word, ponder, literally simply means, it comes from the same word as throw together. So it's almost like whatever is being collected into your heart, into your mind, uh, gets processed, okay? So you're conversing with yourself about all of the things that are happening in front of you. Secondly, pondering has the idea of to behold, to reflect deeply on what you are seeing, a little aside here. The word behold, we don't use that that much. And sometimes I think we almost see it as archaic in our translations that use behold. Behold appears 1,300 times in the Bible. God says, you know, the people who, are, who he creates, behold. He's, Jesus says, uh, you know, when he's getting ready to, to leave, he gives the commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And he ends by saying, his last words before his crucifixion were, and behold, I am with you always. Now, here's something that's happened. Some of our modern translations have eliminated or, or tried to more simplify this word, behold. And so it's translated, and remember, I am with you always forever. Uh, and, or see, I am with you always. Now, the word behold does have to do with eyes, seeing, but it's more than putting your eyeballs on something. To behold is to realize you have just touched the living God, that God is present, that the veil is thin between God's space and my space, and God is saying something or doing something or you are experiencing something that calls you to behold with a sense of awe and full attention to the reality of God. So recover that word behold if you've lost it, okay? <laughs> so behold is part of pondering. It's to, also to dialogue with yourself, to let it sink in and make sense. Here's the key, though. To ponder is very similar to the Hebrew concept of meditation. Now, when I say meditation, oh, I, I like to meditate. In, in our culture, our natural tendency is to go Where? to go to a place of either Eastern meditation or, or a vague kind of mindfulness, which can be beneficial to be you know, quiet and calm and so on. But that's not Hebrew or biblical meditation as it's defined there. Meditation involves filling the mind to be aware of what God has said, what God is doing, and invite God into a conversation of how that impacts your life. So meditation is talking with God about his word and my life, all right? Ponder is akin to uh, this idea of revolving around and thinking and, and digesting, conversing with your, with your own self. It's like self-talk, but God's in the conversation, okay? That's what makes it meditation in the biblical sense, okay? So now Mary, I believe, uh, didn't start pondering just in Bethlehem. I think pondering was a part of her life. Pondering was what allowed her to say when the angel Gabriel came and said, you're, you're going to be, you know, hail favored one. Uh, you are going to bear the Messiah. Her response after the fear was, uh, how, can, how will this be? 
I don't know if it's a nuance or not, but she didn't say, how can this be? She said, how will this be? Uh, how are you going to pull this off kind of thing? But then she says, after he explains how this is going to happen, she says, behold, the servant of the Lord, may it be to me as you have said. Another aside. When she says, may it be to me as you have said, according to your word, may it be to me. I think that's the most concise definition in the Bible of what faith really is. Sometimes we use faith in our, in our normal discussions. You know, do, you have, do you have faith that that will happen? Or some, sometimes someone who is not a follower of Christ would look at faith as simply sort of that blind leap that's not really based on anything substantial. That's the opposite of what biblical faith is. Faith is believing and receiving what God has said, what he has promised, accepting the authority of that, and then acting accordingly. So faith is believing that what God has said he will do, and then acting on it with trust and confidence. That's faith. Okay, so Mary. How does Mary uh, show her sense of pondering? Mary, as I said before, was a lifelong disciple. So Mary... After the baby is born, they take the baby to the temple. And there she hears words from Simeon, a prophet, a man who'd been in the temple who had been told that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And Mary had to ponder some words that he said to her that were really tough. You know, this child is going to be for the rising and falling of many. And it said, a sword will pierce your heart too. It's a precursor of the crucifixion. It's Mary and Joseph who had to ponder the words that they needed to leave, to pack up house and move to Egypt for a time because Herod was going to slaughter the innocent children to try to preempt the Messiah's rule. It was Mary that was at the, the wedding of Cana who, who probably was, uh, if you've watched The Chosen, uh, the, the video reenactment of Jesus' life, uh, it shows the wedding at Cana. And Mary is sort of the person who's, who's occupied with making sure that this goes really well. Uh, and so he, she uh, sort of hints to Jesus that there's a need here. And, uh, and then after he does it, or after he goes, he says, she says to the servants, uh, do whatever he says to you. Do whatever he tells you. Which again, is a really concise way of being a disciple. You know, that's a good practice. Do whatever he tells you. It's so, it's so uh, comical sometimes that Peter would, would say several times, said two words in proximity. He would say, no, Lord. No, Lord. Do you say no to the Lord who has just said, okay, you got it. But Mary continued to follow her Lord all the way to the cross. Who is at the cross? As Jesus is being crucified, Judas has betrayed him, obviously. Peter has denied him. And the rest have fled, except for one, who we see from the context is the Apostle John. 
one other disciple's there at the foot of the cross. Who is it? Mary is at the foot of the cross. And Jesus, those poignant words where he says, Mary, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And he takes care of his mother's welfare from the cross. And from that time on, the tradition had it that she went to be with him, John, in his household. But that doesn't end there either. Mary actually ends up 50 days later when the disciples are gathering together, waiting for the coming promise of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when the, the church mission will be launched, guess who's there in the 120? Mary. So she was in it for the long haul. But that pondering is part of, of where, where the engagement with God takes place. Something very important when we talk about this idea of pondering. Pondering has, has the uh, similar ideas and practices of meditation, of what we often call contemplation, being quiet before God, reflecting on God. Don't, don't fall into the understanding that somehow to contemplate and to ponder makes you passive and that you're not a person of action. Sometimes we, we sort of, we do that, don't we? The sort of the either or. It's like, well, I, I, really, can't, I really can't get into this pondering idea or this contemplation or, or being quiet before God or being still or being reflective because I'm a doer. <laughs> the, the point is, it's not either or, is it? Because how do you know what, what you're doing is not just an impulse or a reaction? The best way to know that you are doing and doing the will of God is that you have pondered, you have listened, you have reflected on what he has said. And out of that pondering comes the action. So let me tie this together. I've, uh, I was just doodling with a little flow diagram here. And, and it's the idea of where does pondering uh, fit in with the rest of the, the, the works, the disciplines of being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not some kind of formula. Uh, this is not set in stone, and it is probably going to be revised next week. You know, it's like, but it's something that's sort of where, where I've been uh, reflecting myself. Okay, so it's interesting that this idea of pondering or meditation on God and His Word and what He is doing. Martin Luther, the great reformer, in talking about prayer and meditation, he called meditation the leading foot, with prayer following naturally to it. That's significant because prayer, we naturally think of, well, obviously prayer is part of what it means to, to walk with God. But meditation is the leading foot in the sense that prayer is based on what God has already said. Prayer is answering, in a sense, what God has said. Prayer has to involve listening to the scriptures, to what God's saying, to what he's doing, to others around us, out of that comes fruitful prayer. Out of that comes then the desire to worship, the desire to sing as, as Mary did when she uh, broke into what we call the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. Prayer is, is that place where uh, we naturally turn to God in, in thanksgiving and petition and confession. 
But it starts with pondering. And out of prayer and out of that process of walking with God comes insight. Have you ever experienced those times where you are wrestling with a decision or wrestling with a tough circumstance? Maybe you're agitated and filled with worry. And suddenly you realize, oh, I could actually pray about this as distinct from simply worrying. There's a sense in which um, Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he said, matter of fact, if you, are, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. They're the same thing. It's just with meditation, you're inviting God into the discussion. <laughs> you're inviting God into your head, as it were, instead of just revolving around all that's going on and worrying about it and having anxiety-filled life. Okay, But have you ever been in a situation where you're struggling with something and you take a walk and you pray and, and pretty soon thoughts begin to rise, ideas begin to percolate, creative energies begin to move you to see another alternative or to see a different way of perspective. Sometimes out of that walk or prayer or time just to get away, it all resolves and now I know what to do. Or at least now I'm peaceful about what I have to face, okay? So wisdom and insight come out of prayer and, and pondering. And out of that then comes action, all right? So let me do this. I wanna just give you some prompts. Uh, and first, first thing I would just say is, do your own pondering about how to ponder. Because where God's working in my life, in my station of life, my situation is going to be different. If I say to you, we need to seek silence, and you're Matt Coletta with, with a young child, a toddler, and one on the way, Silence will seem like a foreign idea. That's, that's not Matt. Think about his wife, right? Okay? So if you're a young mother, you, you've got you've to work hard at finding those times where you can be still and get away. And others need to help you with it. Okay? So if you, if you, are, uh, if you are caring for an elderly uh, parent or, or a loved one, it can feel all-absorbing. If you're at work and there's, there's, it's filled with stress and you're exhausted at the end of the day, the whole the pondering takes on different dimensions. So you have to decide, how does, this, how does this concept fit into my life more? But here's a few suggestions. The first one is, reflect with God about where you are in your life. That sounds very vague. But what I'm saying is, Part of pondering is to ponder what's going on in your life. It's taking a realistic appraisal. It's saying, where am I really? What is going on? What is happening? Where is God in this? Where have I left God out of this? What's going on in my life? Part of this is self-awareness. Um, so one of the courses I've, I've been teaching lately is, is an ethics course. And I've subtitled it, How Shall We Then Live? And one of the things that I do, 
One of the things that I do early on is I'll write the word philosophy on the board. And I'll say, um, by the way, since this is a philosophy course, maybe we should you know, re review what philosophy means. What's, if you break it down, the etymology of philosophy is what? Nobody knows. Sorry. Phileo is Greek word. What, anybody know what that word? Phileo? Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Okay, so it's the love of something. The love of, what's the other part? Sophia. Anybody know what Sophia is? The head of the philosophy department for 50 years is sitting here, so I better get this right. What's Sophia? Wisdom. Wisdom. Philosophy is designed to be to help us with the love of wisdom. Anybody need any wisdom? Does our world need any wisdom? What does that mean? The next thing I'll sometimes do is I'll say, you know, there's a famous uh, dictum from Socrates that says, the unexamined life is not worth living. Have anyone ever heard that? The unexamined life is not worth living. Alan Jacobs turns it around and he says, actually, to put it in a positive spin, the examined life, the reflective life is really worth living. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live reflective lives. Not navel-gazing, but reflective in the sense of really pondering who God is, what he has said, what is he doing in my life? So to be pondering is really important. Ponder the path of your feet, says Proverbs 4. Think about where you're going. Uh, so I, you know, I retired, uh, quote, here uh, in, in six, what was it, 16? So I was 66. You know, now I'm 72. It's like, in these last 10 years, do you know what's God, one of the areas God's really working on me? Self-awareness. I'm a slow learner. What can I say? But I'm getting more and more insights as I take time to intentionally reflect and ponder on who I am, what's God doing, how has he formed me, etc. I'm becoming more aware. Oh, that's why I do that. That's why Mary has had to have such patience around this. You know, and so on. Okay? I had a friend, a friend of ours, who texted me a couple of days ago. And she said, last couple of years, as you know, have really been hectic and intense and I, I really feel like I need like a personal retreat to sort of process with God, you know, what, what he's been doing and what's, what I need to do next and that kind of thing. And she wants some ideas on how to have that, that getaway. But that, that's the kind of thing where there's an intentionality about reflecting on our lives. So don't, don't avoid uh, facing reality. How's that? <laughs> Now, that, that, may also may, that may be things like, you know, as, you, as we get older, we face our mortality. And it's a good thing to reflect on your mortality. You know, the, the statistics on death are amazing. Right around 100%. <laughs> we will die. But for the Christian, the blessed hope, the hope of life of the world to come, of, of the bliss of being with Jesus of new heavens and new earth, even in the new resurrected bodies that, that are the promise of the Christian hope are not something that God gives us to just have a mental exercise about them occasionally, 
Those are the things. That hope is what energizes us now to be signs of hope for people who are living in deep despair, who desperately need to know the love of Christ. Okay, here's a second suggestion. You can go all over the place with that first one. Here's the second one. We need to practice close reading. That's sort of a literary technical term, close reading. What that means is um, slow down. Read, when you're reading something that you know is significant, absorb it. Take time to really ruminate on it, meditate on it, think about it. This starts with scripture, right? Don't skim read the Bible. Now, there's good, there's good things about reading through, getting the big picture and all that. I love to, to uh, read through the Psalms every month, either listening to them when I walk or drive or whatever. But you know what God's been doing mostly in the last few years is one Psalm or one part of a Psalm sometimes will lit off the page to me and I'll spend the whole week or more diving in further into that, reflecting on it so that I'm actually not just passing on. I'm learning something from that and God's speaking to me more deeply. So close reading. Now, close reading wouldn't be just the scriptures. It could also be books that you're reading. It could also be close reading of things like the walk in nature, reflecting on the sunset, you know, taking time, smell the roses kind of thing. When you're looking at art or listening to music, take the time to ponder it, to let it go deeper, to let it be a part of God's spirit changing you. The third one is pay attention to see God's presence in the ordinary. Pay attention to see God's presence in the ordinary. The last time I was with you, we talked about turning aside and use Moses in the burning bush, the example where Moses is in the wilderness and there's a bush burning, but it isn't being consumed. And it says, Moses turned aside to see. And then God says out of the bush, Moses, because you turned aside to see, Therefore, I'm going to reveal this, and I'm going to give you a calling in your life to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, which Moses wasn't excited about doing. But apart from, if it wasn't for turning aside, he would miss the burning bush, as it were. Well, the burning bushes are everywhere, folks. We need to recognize that this is not a two-story universe. This is not where God is somehow upstairs, you know, in, in another total different, different dimension that never comes into our world. The very coming of Christ was heaven entering earth. We pray, don't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, okay? So God is constantly speaking. God, we say God is everywhere, but sometimes we act as though he's really sort of upstairs and occasionally pounds on the floor and we hear him sometimes, but he's really up there and we're living two separate lives. Be aware of God's presence in the ordinary. Let me tell a quick story. Uh, this is part of the growing edge for me in not only teaching, but especially in the work of, of chaplaincy. And it's not, and I want to emphasize that this, this kind of story, which happens to me like, seems like every day or every other day, um, is really trusting simply, and I say this to nurses, when I orient nurses to spiritual care, I say, I'm a spiritual care specialist. You're a spiritual care generalist. You have deep 
impact in the spiritual lives of, of patients. Whether or not you are a person of faith or not, whenever you decide to give your full attention to a patient, whenever you decide to be truly present to them in their illness and what they're going through, you are caring for them as a person. And that is deeply important. And that's part of spiritual care. Okay? So, so whether it's in your work, whether it's in your neighborhood, or even in your family, here, here's, here's my quick story. So I go to the emergency room a uh, week before last. I'm called down to, the, to an emergency room. Uh, a family asks for prayer. Uh, so I'm, I'm with them, and then I step out, and I realize this is the fullest I have ever in seven years seen the emergency room. Every cubicle is full. It's like a, it's like a circle. Every cubicle off of that is full. Every room adjacent to it for overflow is full, and there are about six beds in the hallways, uh, patients waiting for a room, a place, okay? So I, as I walk, and sometimes I'll do this, I'll just sort of make the rounds and just look in, someone who, you know, is, a, is alert or someone who I sense could use a visit or whatever. Um, so here I am, and here is a, is, a, is a sitter. Do you know what a sitter is in a hospital? It's a nurse's aide or some other staff member who is asked to sit in front of a patient's room because of certain things. It could be suicidality, uh, threats of suicide. It could be uh, potential you know, violence, someone who's said they might want to leave on their own, whatever it might be. It's protection, safety for everyone. So here's my friend Bev, who I know from another floor. And, uh, and she, she says, yeah, it's pretty crazy here today. She says, I, I haven't even had a break. I've been waiting for an half an hour to have a break. You know, I says, I'm free. Take a, take a break. Go take 10 minutes. Your patient's sleeping. Don't, you know, I'll, I'll be here. So she takes a break. So while she's gone, I notice right outside the room is, another, is a bed in the hallway. And, uh, and so I go over and I engage this person. We'll call him Byron. I introduce myself. His first words to me were, thank you for saying Hello. And then, and that's not to indict the care of the staff. They are doing their absolute best. But uh, he'd been waiting about three hours. And, uh, and as I often ask people, I said, what are you going through? What is it that you're going through? His answer was all too familiar for me. Uh, you may have heard me talk at times or heard this concept uh, called the deaths of despair. There's a phenomenon in our world. It's, it's been used by healthcare and economics. It's an umbrella term that's capturing the epidemic proportions of three things. The opioid overdose epidemic, um, suicide of all kinds. And the third one is alcohol use disorder leading to cirrhosis and early death. Epidemic among mostly men age 50 to 65. I'm not exaggerating to say there's probably, out of 100 patients in that hospital, probably three a week are in that category. I have talked to dozens of them. And, and he basically identifies himself. Yeah, I've been trying to be sober. I overdosed again. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm bleeding. I have cirrhosis, 
my life may be very short. I don't have time to go into that conversation, but we've, we were able to not only have an amazing conversation, and he has, he has connections to his faith. This person um, right now feels hopeless and despair. He's a professional jazz guitarist, played for, with Roomful of Blues, taught at Berklee School of Music for a while. And he is at the end of his rope, just hopeless. But he has faith roots. He's actually been, he asked to go back to his the Catholic church that he had, had connections with and they let him play in the band um, with Tom Kenzie, Christ, Christ the King. So it's like, there's all kinds of things going on there. So anyway, at, we learned that later. But there in the hallway, uh, we, we pray together. He thanks me. Uh, as soon as you get admitted, I'm gonna see you tomorrow. And that's led to, to further conversations and he was discharged and I'm hoping to keep in connection. As I turned to leave, my friend Bev, who's sort of watching this, uh, looks at me and I said, I think we just had a God moment. And she looks at me and winks, and she knows me. And it's like, yeah, it's another God moment. So anyway, uh, that, and all that to say, um, God is constantly speaking God is going before you into those situations that you know are going to be tough, that involve some, some heavy conversations or whatever it might be. Make sure, make sure that you're tuning into that, pondering that. Lord, Lord, you go ahead of me. Help me with this. Give me the words to say. Help me to be available. Help me to engage, whatever it might be. And God will guide you in that. But we've got to be, be alert to the ordinary moments the last one is maybe to summarize a little bit. Invite God's spirit into your mental conversations. Invite God's spirit into your conversations that you have. Make sure your self-talk invites God into that room. And, and the scripture to link that to, in my mind, is Philippians chapter four. Paul, writing from prison, writes the epistle of joy where he talks about joy and rejoicing 12 times. And in chapter four has been called the mental health chapter of the Bible. And I've often shared some of this with, with, with patients and others. But it's where Paul, some of you are familiar with this, he starts out rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says those wonderful words that's on the prayer chain, actually, that Pat puts out. The prayer chain has Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Uh, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. He follows that. We don't go further sometimes. Verse eight is amazing. It lists all the, the, the famous virtues, uh, everything. He says, therefore, brothers, whatever is, whatever is, uh, is good and true and, and beautiful and lovely and winsome and worthy of excellence and all those things, let your mind dwell on those Fix your mind on those. Ponder them. Ponder these things. And the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these things put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The alternative to inviting God into your mental conversations is to be a professional worrier. And there's a lot of us are professional worriers. And, and so I think it's, it's just God saying, ponder, but don't, don't, 
be alone with your thoughts. That's not what pondering is in this context. It's not being alone with your thoughts. It's, it's being with God in your thoughts. How's that? We had to stop. But let me, let me encourage you to ponder what it means to ponder for you. Let's pray together. Father, you, you made us and you know us and you still love us. Lord, you care for us. You come alongside to help us. Lord, may we be like young Samuel who had to learn to cry out, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, help us to be like Mary who treasured and pondered these things in her heart. Lord, wherever we are, would you meet us? Would you instill in us the practice of pondering? We might walk with you and follow you and learn to pray and grow in wisdom and do those things that come out of that pondering that make a difference that bring glory to you and bring hope to others. The Lord, guide us in this ongoing work. Thank you that, uh, that you have filled us with a deep sense of purpose as we walk with you. We ask all of this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.